Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm Matt Greer, pinch hitting for Chris Hill this week. Chris is getting a much deserved vacation, guys. So I let, can't believe we let him leave the office. I know. Not acceptable. He's stuck out the door. We let him out. He may be somewhere in the Outer Banks. I'm not sure. That's what he says, at least. But let's make him proud. I All have right. told him that I will, I will try to make him proud here. Joe Mager from Motley Fool Inside Value. Charlie Travers from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start with Motorola Mobility. Joe, news out that they are cutting 20% of their workforce. Yeah. They're closing a third of their offices. This is the cell phone maker. I think it's fair to say struggling cell phone maker yes. that Google picked up back in May. What's your take on the news? Oh, I think this is great news. I mean, Google bought Motorola mostly for its patent portfolio, which was really strong, so they could have a little more shielding around Android, but also to try and make something of Motorola and, frankly, just have a little bit of optionality on making their own phone if push comes to shove, kind of like what Apple does, and it gives them some options. I think they're really smart to go in and cut some dead wood here. No offense to the good folks at Motorola, but <laughs> I'm not sure that they need 94 offices around the world. Uh, they cut 40% of VPs. Makes me wonder how many VPs they've got if they could cut 40% like that. Um, one thing I love is that they're cutting down the number of phones from 27 down to a few. I love the focus there. And you know, Samsung has done a nice job of introducing a lot of phones, but I think Apple's done a pretty nice job of demonstrating that focus can be a very good thing. And in Motorola's case, I think they definitely need some of that. Well, I I think Apple demonstrated that vertical integration where you design the software and the device itself works very well. Uh, Google with Motorola looks to be following in their footsteps, particularly, as you mentioned, on slimming down the number of devices uh, into only a handful. Um, But I do wonder if this complicates the relationship with Samsung a bit. Samsung, along with Apple, is the uh, top dogs in uh, handsets. And, you know, it's got to make them a little nervous seeing what Google's doing with Motorola and how this affects their relationship going forward, because I don't think Google would want to alienate them entirely. No, I I totally agree. It's really a fine line that Google's walking here, where they're trying to get other people to use the operating system while they're going to be putting their operating system, Android, on phones of a company that they own that's selling handsets. So it is really tough. I think they've done an okay job of keeping Samsung comfy, but if I was Samsung, I would definitely be you know, behind the scenes working on a lot of different options on producing my own OS, which they are, and looking at you know, partnerships with other handset manufacturers, which they are, and they're doing the smart thing, which is staying heavily invested in Android, but opening up a lot of options so that you have some leverage with Google and you know, not just for perception, but reality in case Google yanks Android away, which I think was would be silly, but you never know. And Joe, we were talking before the show about all the patents, the patents you mentioned earlier. Uh, Motorola has around 17,000 patents. Is that enough for Google, even if this deal doesn't work with Motorola Mobility? Is this all gravy? And can Google just say, hey, we got a lot of patents, and so this is all gravy? No, the lawsuit train is still rolling and will for a long time. And I think Google is definitely a much better position now that they have Motorola. But, you know, we were talking before the show, I would compare this kind of like Google's buying Motorola was like marrying someone for their money. You know, at first you're like, well, this is a great decision. It's very (laughs) practical. And over the long term, I'll do well with this. But then there's the day-to-day of having to live with that person. And that's the problem they're facing with Motorola. It's making this business work. And I think they'd be okay, like just okay, if Motorola was just profitable. But... There's a big difference between just profitable and losing money. And, uh, you know, in a business where it's very cyclical and consumer tastes change easily, you've got to be really careful with that. And so, unfortunately, I do think it'll be kind of a 
you know, rolling headache for these guys for a long time at Google. And um, exit question here. When you look at Google, the stock, um, are you still bullish? Or? Yeah, I, I'm a happy Google holder. I wouldn't mind getting a little cheaper, though. Okay, next up, let's talk some Barnes & Noble. The bookstore are cutting prices on three of its Nook e-reader and tablet devices. Charlie, we've got back-to-school shopping coming up. We've also got these reports that Amazon may be coming out with a new Kindle Fire. So what's your take on the Barnes & Noble news? Sure. Uh, So what Barnes & Noble is doing with the Nook, they are taking their version with 16 gigabytes of storage from $249 down to $199, and the 8-gigabyte one from $199 down to $179. Uh, For comparison, the Amazon Kindle Fire with 8 gigabytes also $199. So they're undercutting just a little bit, and I think that's a necessary step. As you mentioned, with back-to-school season coming, that's the perfect time to make such a move, regardless of what Amazon is doing. Uh, surprisingly, Barnes & Noble mentioned that Nook has 27% market share in e-readers or uh, tablets. I'm not quite sure exactly how they define that, versus 60% for Amazon. That's much higher than I would have expected. I would have thought Amazon had the market wrapped up entirely, but that's clearly not the case. Uh, you do mention rumors about Amazon Amazon launching a new Kindle Fire. I think that is badly needed on their part. The first one did not get that great reviews. I know some people who had them, and they were not very complimentary in their opinions of them, in contrast to the Kindle e-reader itself, which is universally loved. Uh, so I think, you know, from Amazon's perspective, their next Kindle Fire uh, needs to step it up a little bit. Joe? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a good self-aware move from Barnes & Noble to kind of get out in front of some hot new uh, tablets that are coming to market, especially, you know, also the Google 7 Nexus tablet, or I butchered the name, but you know what I'm talking about, the new 7-inch tablet from Google. Uh, that's going to be very competitive, and sorry, off to a great start. And now I do think Barnes & Noble, clearly they're off to a surprisingly good start, I'd say, on, you know, like what Charlie's saying with getting market share for e-readers, but they are going to need to roll out some hot new product themselves, given what's coming out from Google with, you know, a new Apple tablet and coming, you know, with a Kindle Fire 2, which I'm guessing is probably going to be much improved from the first iteration. And let's talk about those reports that Apple may come out with a smaller iPad at the end of the year. What would an Apple, a smaller Apple iPad mean for both Barnes & Noble and Amazon? Well, I think from Apple's perspective first is while the iPad has been wildly successful at its, I think, $499 is the base price, a smaller tablet opens up the market even farther for people who that $500 price is just a little bit too high. Uh, and I think it puts a lot more pressure on the smaller tablets uh, running Android right now. Uh, Google, to their credit, has just really pushed prices down across the board to the benefit of consumers. And it gives, uh, you know, uh, you know, Apple's entry would be very interesting in the 7-inch space. You know, one thing I just remember is that there are a couple companies that can make money barely selling hardware at a profit, and one of those is Google, and another is Amazon, whereas Apple makes the bulk of their money at the point of sale. So it's okay for Google and Amazon to see a price war going on with tablets. If anything, they're thrilled to see it because it means there are going to be more tablets in the hands of the consumers who are going to be more ser- doing more searches and buying more stuff online, whereas with Apple, they make all their money at the point of sale You know, when you actually buy that iPad. So for them, they'd much rather see a little more discipline. And Charlie, let's go back to Barnes & Noble as we close here. Barnes & Noble um, stock down this morning, trading around 14 bucks, well off its 52-week high, um, which was around $26. So when you look at Barnes & Noble stock, 
Um, are you interested? Well, Mac, I, I'm of, of two minds here. Uh, I am not interested in their bricks and mortars book selling operation. I think in the long run, that is a dead business. Um, I'm more interested in the Nook side of the business, where they've this year announced a partnership with Microsoft, where Microsoft took an equity stake. Uh, particularly, they, they are going into the college textbook market, which is an interesting uh, angle to take. So and I think there are talk of splitting this business up. I'd be more interested in the digital operations. Yeah, I completely agree. And hats off to Microsoft for once making a nice acquisition and investment. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, Pfizer planning a $100 million IPO of its animal health business, Zotus. Um, Zotus sells more than 300 products to livestock farmers and veterinarians in about 70 countries. Um, Why is Pfizer making this an IPO? Sure, Mac. Uh, Pfizer is divesting businesses outside of its core business of making drugs. Uh, they sold off their infant nutrition business to Nestle for $12 billion. They had a capsule-making business. They sold for $2 billion to uh, the private equity firm uh, KKR. And so, you know, spinning off their animal health business is just a continuation of that trend. Uh, they talked about on their last earnings call they were going to initially uh, – divest 20% of the animal health business, and if that was a successful move, they would get rid of the rest of it later. Uh, and, and so this animal health business is actually pretty large. It does $4 billion in sales last year. That's only 6% of Pfizer's total, but as a standalone business, it is certainly very interesting, and it is a profitable business at that. They did $245 million in profits last year, so I think there would be a significant interest in this kind of company as a standalone unit. And what about Pfizer, Charlie? How does Pfizer's stock look today? Uh, they've, they're finally starting to turn it around and stabilize the situation. They had a rocky few years. Uh, I was interested before they made this massive acquisition of Wyeth, which was a drastic change in direction for them. Uh, instead of slimming down, they pulled what they've historically done is make just a bloated giant acquisition. It's taken a few years and a CEO change to uh, get past that. And with these... Uh, divesting of the non-drug businesses. I'm a little more interested than I was, say, two years ago. Okay, Charlie, and speaking of yeah. acquisitions, yes, I have it on, on good source that you are getting a new puppy this week. I am, on, on Wednesday. Okay. It's a golden retriever puppy. Okay. So, I and, love golden retrievers. Okay, and how, how old? She'll be eight weeks old, and her name will be Molly. Okay, so I know a lot of our listeners listen to the podcast as they walk their dogs. I know we've got a lot of pet owners. So first of all, I want I want any good advice for Charlie in terms of his new puppy, Molly. Um, yep. Radioatfool.com. We want your best piece of advice. Um, Joe, what, what's your advice for Charlie? Well, Charlie knows my old dog, Warner, who was a pit bull who had a bit of a training problem. <laughs> we'll just say that. Um, I would say two things. One, invest in training early and heavily. I didn't do that, and I've regretted it for years. So that's tip one. Tip two, don't let the dog sleep in the bed. Even though it's going to be tempting, you'll be glad if you just set that precedent early and stick to it. Okay, good good yes. advice. I, I agree with both of Joe's points. And for our listeners, uh, another confounding factor here is I have a four-month-old kitten as well. So if you have any advice as to how to introduce a puppy to a kitten, love to hear it. And before the show, you told me that your kitten, um, Olive, right? Olive, she's a five-month-old 
a four-month-old, five-pound kitten, and she runs the house already. So a bit of a dictator. Yes. Okay, well, my two pieces of advice, um, kind of piggybacking on what Joe said, don't let the dog jump up on you. And if the dog jumps up on you, don't pick it up. And um, number two is zero tolerance. When the dog does its business in the yard, go out and clean it up right away. Absolutely. It's hard to do, but just stay on top of that. You'll be happy, and and you can kind of make yourself the king of the yard. Um, (laughs) And and it's nice, you know. We all have our different goals. So, Okay, so on that note, if you've got advice for Charlie, radio at fool.com. We need new puppy advice. Charlie Travers, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for joining us today. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.